So here we are, we're in Revelation, and man, um, like I, I uh, confessed last week that I've been kind of like a kid in the candy store with, with some of these last passages, uh, with the, the war in heaven and the, and the mark of the beast, but um, admittedly, man, those passages are heavy, heavy, heavy passages. Uh, and so God in his, in his wisdom and his grace, uh, all throughout Revelation, when things get really heavy, he throws in these passages of light and air and beauty and peace, um, uh, telling us, uh, the tr- uh, just focusing in about what's true about us uh, and, and what, 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 the, what our guaranteed inheritance is, um, and just making it really clear to us where we stand with him so then in the midst of all the heaviness that he's laying out on um, the schemes of the devil and the things to watch out for, he, can, he, he, he takes these minutes, takes these breaks with these grand interludes of hope to show us the end game. Uh, I, re- I wanted to have a big part of me wanted to call this sermon end game. Uh, uh, but uh, since ruled out and I decided to, to call it what it, what it really is talking about. He's talking about in that God's mind, in our minds as we are struggling through life, we feel like we're struggling towards the goal, but in God's mind, we're already there. And so that's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about how God sees us and, and the reality that we are already, in a real sense, in the heavenly places with Jesus. And uh, nothing can pull us out of there. So let's read now. Um, Let's read together our passage today. Uh, This is a combination. I put two. I took these two parts that are related together uh, and put them uh, together for this this sermon. Uh, And then uh, in the middle, there's a sandwich period that talks about those outside the church. And we'll talk about that next week. But today, let's take a little break from the heavy and let's see uh, the beauty and the full light of what Revelation is teaching us about God and his salvation. Amen. Uh, So let's listen intently together to God's inerrant word. This is Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 through 5, and 15, 2 through 4. So here we go. And then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his, his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth, No lie was found, for they are blameless. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. 
All the nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you guys have kids, for those of you that have kids or that you're around kids, you know what kids love to do. I hope hope this is all kids, not just my kids, but our kids love to steal our phones and play on them. And and, uh, I keep my phone locked because they'll just immediately get in there and rearrange things and just destroy all of my, where I could, you can't. Like on Nisa's phone, they get in there, you can't, even find, you can't even find an app that you want because it's spread out all over the place. And they just do, uh, they just do, they wreak havoc with our cell phones. However, what they're amazing at is, uh, like even on my phone, you can, go, you, can, you can bypass or you can open the camera app, right? And in, in my phone, my kids uh, have like mastered like these crazy little like 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 this innate mastery or ability like these crazy little tech geniuses the ability to take pictures and then go into the editing software and and add filters to them and come up with these like amazing works of art right i mean they're they they suck as photographers i mean these pictures are awful they're off center their pictures like looking up into hana's nose or you know odd and unflattering angles but they get in there and they put the filters on and they rearrange it and somehow these things come out. Some of them come out to be just astonishingly beautiful works of art. In fact, my, my kids taught me how to use the filters in Instagram. Like I kind of, you know, I knew they were there, but I just never bothered with them. But the beauty of those things is you can just suck at photography. You can be the world's worst photographer. You can take the worst picture in the world pretty much, but you can work those filters put it on top of the pictures and come up with these stunning images uh, of your perfectly manicured Instagram life. (laughs) However much that is based in reality or not, right? Well, God has something kind of like that, but it's even, even better. God has a filter in, in a way, shape or form. And it's a filter that doesn't just transform what the image looks like, but it actually transforms the character of the image. He can take any image, no matter how jacked up it is, and transform it into the image of his son, Jesus. It's like God has this this special Instagram Jesus filter where he can take that and put it over on top of the worst, sketchiest, shakiest, most sinful person like me. And he works that filter and he can bring him or bring her into the most beautiful work of art imaginable. And he does it all the time. And that's a pretty much what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about this, how it is that God sees us as already perfected in glory through Jesus so that we can trust him and lean into that reality. That's what we're going to talk about today. That God and how it is that God sees us as already perfected in glory through Jesus. And so when we understand that, we can trust him and we can lean into that reality. So let's, let's go through that one part at a time. First, how God sees us as already perfected in glory through Jesus. When we do premarital counseling, we use a, a book called uh, by Tim Keller called Meaning of Marriage. And one of the one of the most important ideas or the most um, 
Yeah, one of the most important ideas that he brings out in that book is the power that your spouse has, your husband or your wife has to speak into your life. And Keller, Keller says, you know, he says, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, wow, you are the kindest, most gentlest man that I've ever met, but the guy doesn't, you know, the, the person doesn't really know you that well. Keller's like, meh, okay, that's great. But if his wife Kathy says that to him, who knows all about him, then it, it's so significant because Kathy knows him and, and, and yet she still is saying uh, this thing about him uh, and, 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 and another big part of that is that your husband or your wife, what they think about you is so much more important and has so much more weight uh, than what random people have to say about you, even what we say about ourselves, right? If what Nisa thinks about me uh, is so much more important. I put so much more weight into that than anybody else. It's so much more important to me to be uh, accepted and loved by her so that when she says something about me, I know not only that it's truthful because she knows me, but it has so much more weight, so much weight, therefore, it's so much so that it's even able to counter and replace in my mind some of the awful things that I say about myself to myself. Amen? Now, listen, if a husband or wife has that kind of power to speak into our lives in, in such a way and to tell us things about ourselves that are able to counter and cross out the negative and awful things I tell myself about myself, how much more would God have that power? How much more powerful would it be to hear God say those things about us? And maybe that sounds scary to you. Maybe you're like, I don't want to know what God thinks about me. That sounds scary because I'm afraid about what he would say. But let's listen right here in this passage. God, uh, I'm going to explain this, but God tells us what it is that he thinks about us. And we talked about this a little bit before in another, in another sermon, but here it's really clear. It just pops out at you, okay? So listen to, what, listen to what it is that God says is true about us or how he sees us, okay? This is, look at verse, uh, verses 1 and verse 4 through 5 in chapter 14. Listen, it says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his, the name of him, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as a first fruit for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth was no lie, was no lie to be found, for they are blameless. Now look, when you first, maybe you first read on that, you first take, uh, maybe you're tempted to think, okay, this is some special class of super Christian, uh, but it ain't me. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> but there's a problem. Here's a problem. We've already talked about this number, and the numbers in Revelation, they're all symbolic. This this 144,000 number. We talked about this number came up earlier, and we talked about how we in, in the West, whenever we see a number, our go-to is to grab the calculator and start doing math equations. But in the ancient Near East, that's not how they thought. They would have thought 12 apostles times 12 tribes of Israel times 1,000 
which is 144,000. So in other words, this is really a symbolic way of expressing the fullness of all of God's people, uh, all of God's people being redeemed out of the earth, right? And so, uh, uh, I, look, we, I, hope that ha- I hope that's it, right? Because listen, if it's not, there really is, there's only two exegetical options here. Either one, this is talking, this is saying that all the people who are going to be saved consist of only men and only men who are virgins. And if that's true, we got, we got problems, right? I got problems, you got problems. So, but it's not that. There's another better explanation is this is God, this is the, the, the Holy Spirit in symbolic terms presenting this up. Uh, the idealized and perfected image of the saints. It's drawing on Old Testament, uh, Old Testament uh, verses that speak about the soldiers of Israel in, in engaged in holy war who are uh, supposed to remain celibate before going into battle. Uh, it's also like hinting at the reality of the saints. Uh, the saints are those who don't or haven't compromised their faith. Uh, and taken on these false versions of Christianity, which is really uh, akin to spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication. It's drawing in on those images, and it's basically what it's saying in this is that it's, it's, it's presenting this picture. This is how God sees us now. He sees us as pure, as righteous, as blameless, uh, it's, and so much so that we're, we're presented, the saints are presented in this idealized way of uh, even to the point of being completely chaste and completely virgins. It's a symbolic way of saying holiness and righteousness that, that we possess through Christ and the way that God sees us, right? And listen, this isn't, this isn't just a vision of the future. Uh, of what we will be. It is, it is talking, when, whenever it says Mount Zion, and it does, it says, and I looked and behold on Mount Zion, we're standing on Mount Zion, which is almost always used as a symbolic reference to God's eternal city uh, and the, re- the remnant of redeemed mankind in, in triumph in God's eternal city in the new creation. However, this is a picture of us standing on Mount Zion with the seals on our head, which ties this passage back into the last passage. It's contrasting the earth dwellers, the worshipers of the beast, with the seal of their God on their forehead. And that is, there's a time stamp on that. That's happening in and through this age. It's contrasting that picture with the people of God, with the seal of God on their foreheads, uh, and and so it's a picture not only of us in the future, but it's a picture of what our reality is now. That in a mysterious way, even though we're still on earth, we are already in spirit because we're unified with Jesus, already on Mount Zion, worshiping God, having been confirmed and, and made righteous and made pure and made good. <laughs> and God sees us in that perfected, finalized form, even now. That's what God sees when he looks at you. That's what God sees when he thinks about you.
And how is that possible? Again, the gospel reading we did today, the, the reason that's possible is because Jesus has given us his righteousness. God doesn't see us anymore uh, in our sin, in our, in our frailty. He, he understands that frailty. In fact, God, listen, uh, God understands our sin and our, the struggle that we have with our sin better than we do and sympathizes with that. And in love is disciplining us and growing us. But to be clothed with Christ, to have been given the righteousness of Jesus means uh, that we, everything that we are called to be, we already are in God's eyes. It's that, that, that Instagram Jesus filter that God sees us through that changes not just what we look like, but it changes who we are uh, and projects onto us and God sees us as we will be even now. Now, why is that important? Uh, man, that's so important for a lot of reasons, but a big one is, a big one is this. One of my big struggles, one of my struggles is that I'm like, kind of, uh, I'm constantly, I have this sneaking suspicion that God is mad at me, that God is not happy with my performance, that I'm not living up to what I'm supposed to be living up to. And I know better. I mean, I know better. I've got the theology. Uh, I understand, you know, I understand this stuff. I teach it. And yet, even though I understand it and I teach it, um, I still struggle with that. I still struggle with thinking um, that God is mad at me, you know? And I had a breakthrough. I had this breakthrough not, not too long ago, honestly, where I was able to, to bring that, uh, some of that head knowledge down into my heart. And it was coming through some of these longer meditations that I've been able to, to do in, uh, during the lockdown where I was thinking about our sin and how sin is just is the manifestation of the broken nature of our hearts and our being. And there's a, there's a psalm that talks about how God understands that we are dust and that he has compassion on us as a father has compassion on his children. And I thought about how I think about my kids and how when they do something wrong, um, how it doesn't change how much I love them or how much I care for them, right? And it just, it dawned on me that God is not my dad. He's not my earthly dad, even though I'm tempted to view him through that lens. And God is not mad at me because of my broken, sinful nature. What Jesus did for us on the cross forever took that, the wrath of God away from us. And so even in my worst, I, re I had this, this re revelation that God loved me deeply, even in those moments, and was, was so far above being mad at me because of the character of who he is, that even in my worst moments, even when I was stomping on grace, he was still, as a good father, extending his love and kindness to me, and his whole motive and concern was to help me to come out of the selfishness and this destruction that I was causing in my own life to give me blessing and beauty and truth, man. So one of the big ways um, 
Yeah, one of the big ways that we can internalize, internalize the fact that God is not mad at us. And, you know, the cross is the big one. Jesus came and died for us knowing all about your sin. But in, on top of that, it's seeing and knowing how God talks about us. And when you hear it, it's almost like God is that proud dad who's so proud of his son that he's almost embarrassing on the praise that he heaps up for him or for his daughter, right? That's how God talks about us. That's how God talks about you. David says, David says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed, meaning God knows everything that's going to happen before it even happens. He doesn't just know about the sins that we've already done. He knows about the sins that you don't even know that you're going to do later. (laughs) And he says this, the response, God's response, or David says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. The next time you think God's mad at you, think about the beach. Think about the number of grains of sand on the beach and try to mentally count them in your head. And then think to yourself that God's word tells us, tells you, that God's good thoughts and loving and compassionate thoughts towards you are more than those grains of sand on the beach. Second thing, so if that's true, and all that is true. Uh, it means that we, it, it's the first, a big first step in understanding that we can trust God. But there's something else in this passage that shows us and speaks to us uh, about how we can trust God. And that is that he tells us in this passage that we are, um, in the future, our future selves, when we're with him in heaven, we're going to know. Oh, we're going to know a lot about what we don't know about now. See, one of the problems is when we're in the middle of struggle or or stuff in life that's happening doesn't make any sense, and and and, and we just there's a lot about life now and what God's doing in life now that we just don't know, and that's because God can't tell us everything right now for a lot of reasons, right? Speaking of Endgame, in, uh, in Endgame, Doctor Strange goes into a meditation and, he, and he's able to foresee 14 million possible outcomes of what the Endgame might be in the war against Thanos. Uh, and in that, he sees 14 million possible outcomes and he sees one where, where, the, where the people of Earth win against, against Thanos and his army. And in the middle of it, at the end, Tony Stark goes up to, to Doctor Strange and he says, he says, hey, you said that one out of 14 million we'd win. Yeah, and he says, tell me this is it. Tell me this is the one that we win. And, and Doctor Strange looks at him and says, if I tell you what happens, it won't happen. And what does he mean? He's like, he's like he had knowledge, but he couldn't share it with Tony. He couldn't, there was things that he just could not share with Tony in that moment. And the same is kind of true about God for a lot of reasons, for our, our frailty, uh, the limitations of our human minds, our human experience, our existence, the sinful nature of our hearts. There are some things that God just can't tell us right now. But listen, listen to the words of this song that we sing 
It's us singing, by the way. I hope that's clear. This is the song that we are singing at the end. This is uh, on chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. This is what it says. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who would not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, that's saying a lot, right? On the one hand, on the one hand, this is big picture mystery that's being revealed, uh, and the saints are, are just reveling. They're just marveling, marvel, ha, marveling. At the, at the astonishing nature of God's plan of salvation, the big overarching meta-narrative, uh, the pattern of it, the history, the story, and the revelation of the big, uh, the big meta-narrative of what God has done in, in, in and through his acts of salvation, his acts of redemption throughout history, and then its big culmination at the end of history, uh, about how he's brought all the nations, he, his plan, his salvation is extended way outside of just Israel, and, and, it's, and it's gone to all of the nations in the new, in the new covenant. Uh, and that Israel itself was like, was like God, in the, especially in the Exodus event, where God rescued his people out of slavery from Egypt, brought them through the waters of death and into the promised land, that that was God pre-enacting, not re-enacting, but pre-enacting a greater exodus that he was going to accomplish at the end of time, which he has through Jesus. Jesus has now rescued us as a greater Moses, rescued us from the slavery of sin and death, and he's brought us already through the waters of death. We, when he died, we died with him. Uh, and he is bringing us now into the promised land. And that reality is so real that in a real sense, we are already there. God already sees us as perfected and we are already have been lifted up into the heavenly reality and we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. But it also shows that God's acts in history, they're not just acts of raw power. They're acts that... Um, they are, his sovereign acts are acts of, that are, uh, they're moral expressions of his character. That in and through his acts in history, we see a God who is completely unlike all of the imaginary gods of the world. We see a God who is so compelled by his love for his people that he became man, <laughs> descended into the mess, into uh, chaos and death and just the destruction that we have made of the earth and lived among us, suffered with us, and fulfilled all of the requirements of, of moral justice of the universe that had to be fulfilled on our behalf and then died for us. He's the God who dies for us. There's no other God like that. It's in every one of those every one of those acts. It's not just raw power, but expressions of the moral character of God, which is goodness and truth and beauty.
But it's more than just that. It's not just the big meta-narrative picture. It's not just, yeah, you know, wow, God was really righteous and all those big ticket events that happened in history. All of that whole song that we just sang is being pulled out of quotes from the Old Testament. And every one of those quotes in the Old Testament, um, it says thing, it, it includes the idea that all of God's works, everything that God does, all of God's acts. It says, you know, in the Old Testament quotes, it calls it, it says, all your deeds are great, just, just and true are all your ways, so much so that when someone knows this and realizes how every act and thought of God is justice and righteousness and truth and love, that we would say to ourselves, who wouldn't revere your name and worship you? And so what is it, I mean, what is it ultimately that we're saying here in this song? God is like giving us this picture of us singing this song, uh, revealing to us that at the end, at the end of it all, everything that makes absolutely no sense right now, God promises us it's all going to make perfect sense at the end. And he's calling us, he's calling us to trust in that. And, and not, only, not only that we'll see it, and know it, but that we will marvel at just how perfect it all was. Man, every, every bad and awful day that you've ever had when you were either God didn't care or he wasn't there, we're going to see it for what it was, the perfection of justice and truth and love as a reflection of God's goodness and moral character towards us and into the world. Now, look, I get it. That's a hard song to sing right now. Amen? It's really hard. And, man, if I can be honest, if I were honest, hashtag, hashtag if I were honest, (laughs) I was not singing that song last week. Man, and most weeks I'm not singing that song. Most week, my song is something like this. It's, my song is something like, okay, intellectually, I know, God, that all your ways are supposed to be just and true. But in reality, I am flying blind right now, God. And sometimes it seems like you could care less. Why is that? Because... There's just a whole lot of stuff going on that we don't know, that we can't know. I mean, I mean, for real, it's just nobody is able, no human is able to at one time comprehend every cause and effect relationship that has occurred from eternity past to eternity future and how all those things play out across the board of all of humanity. We just can't see that huge picture. We can't see it. All you can see is us and our lives. And the truth is, there's a lot of it that's super confusing to us, right? But what is God calling us to do here? How, how is this calling us? He's giving us this vision of us singing this song to say, hey, I want you to trust me. I promise you at the end, all this stuff that doesn't make sense, I promise you at the end, not only is it going to make sense, but you're going to be marveling in how crazy good it was, okay? But in the meantime, 
I need you to trust me, and I want you to trust me because I've proven myself to be good. I've tr- proven myself to be trustworthy. And so you need, you need to trust me in this. So how do we do that? How in the world are we able to trust God in the confusion uh, and in the blindness of this current age? And the way we do that, the way we do that is by leaning into that reality that God reveals. We lean into the reality that God reveals, which is, this is the third final point, which is, it's really the essence of faith. Faith is trusting what God says to be true over and above how we feel at any given moment. And man, that's hard to do, right? I think one of the scariest jobs, one of the scariest jobs that I know of, that I, when I think of scary jobs, is, is being an, an airline pilot, or even worse, a, a carrier fighter pilot. And the reason it's so scary is because when the weather goes out, planes still have to fly, and those guys have to fly by instruments, right? When they look out the canopy, or they, look out, they look out the windshield, they don't see nothing. Not to see fog, blurry, they can't see nothing. So they have to discipline themselves to fly by what the instruments are telling them. And that's, man, that's crazy hard to do. It means they have to, it's a hard skill to learn because they have to fight against everything that their eyes are telling them and everything that their fear is telling them. Uh, And that little, that silent voice that's like chiming up, you know, saying instruments are wrong, the instruments are wrong. And in reality, they never really, you know, you never really, really know if those instruments are right until the wheels touch down and the tail hook catches the wire and you slow down. Until then, man, there's always that whisper in the back of your mind, I am about to fly into the side of a mountain. (sighs) And man, life is like that. That's what life is like. The whole, you know, last week we talked about how the devil is creating a flood of spiritual misinformation. And a big part, a big chunk of that is mistrust in God and mistrust in his, in his word. Uh, and part of our fallen nature, it just kind of drives us towards, we err on the side of trusting what we feel over and above what God says to be true. It's just natural. It's just how it is. And so we're really, uh, but the reality is that we're kind of fog bound. As we look outside, there's fog, there's disinformation, there's spiritual warfare. Uh, there's the fog of war in our own hearts about we, how we're calling, how we tend to trust ourselves more than we trust God. Uh, and so, you know, why is it, why is it God telling us these things in Revelation and throughout the text? Why is he giving us this vision of how he sees us as perfect and righteous in Jesus already? Why is, it, uh, why is he showing us the true spiritual reality that is? Why does he assure us that ahead of time that everything that makes no sense at all right now is going to make perfect sense then? It's because God wants us in through this spiritual war, in this fog of war. He wants us to fly by the instruments. <coughs> And what are the instruments? The instruments are his word <laughs> and, and his spirit working through that word, um, testifying to us that his word is true, testifying to us that small, still voice that like 
warns you of danger and tells us what's true and what's not true. Uh, and being saturated in his words so that we can recognize the Spirit's voice when it's speaking to us. Uh, and when things are tough, when we have, when things that make absolutely no sense, when we're tempted to believe all the awful things that we say about ourselves and tempted to believe the awful things that the devil says about us, God is saying, don't do that. Don't look out the windshield at the fog. Instead, fly by the instruments. Look at what I am telling you to be true through the Word and through the Spirit and trust in that and believe in that and live into that reality. Learn what it is that God says about what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful, and then live accordingly. Uh, And he promises blessedness comes out of that. And so that's why God tells us these things ahead of time, in advance. And so, concluding all this together, God sees us as already perfected in glory through Christ. And God is calling us to fly by the instruments and live into that reality. So when you wake up in the morning... And you're like, if your brain is like me and your brain's waking you up saying, hey, Rob, we got some stuff we want to talk to you about. <laughs> Don't believe the hype. Praise God and trust what he says about you. It's more true than how you feel. And then live into that. Live into that reality. Live into that goodness. And God promises that everything will make perfect sense in the end so that we can live into that reality too. When you're in the midst of that confusion, you're like, this makes no sense. And you're convinced that God has forgotten about you or that he is like, drop the ball or he doesn't care uh, or that he's abandoned you or that you've pissed him off and he's like just (laughs) doing what we do, (laughs) turning the cold shoulder. Don't believe that. That's the fog. That's the flood of misinformation. He's saying instead of that, live into the reality of what God tells us. All of his acts are good and true, righteous and just. We can't see it now, but it's still true now. God God gives us this vision of us singing that, marveling at his goodness, so that we can trust that that's true now, trust in him, uh, and, and do the work of faith, the essence of faith. Believe what God says is true about us and about the world and about himself more than how we feel. Uh, and that is God's blessing to us. Amen? So let's, let's live into the reality of what God says is true. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have told us these things. And um, part of the hardship of this, Lord, is that what you say about us is so crazy good and so crazy unbelievable that it's just hard for us to believe. I mean, we know ourselves, Lord. I know who I am. I know what I do. I know how I think. You know, I know how easy it is for me to just blank out on being considerate to others and how easy it is for me to blame, you know, and blame shift and just excuse being tired. And 
sin and hurt people that love me. And um, so, man, it's hard to say, it's hard to read this, that you see me as uh, this perfect image of justice and, and a glorified saint. <laughs> but your word is true, Lord. And if we really think about it, if we think about it hard, you have a better perspective and a greater view of reality than we do. And so when you tell us these things are true, it makes sense. It makes more rational and reasonable sense to believe what the God of the universe and the God of creation uh, uh, says about us and says about me and says about you than how we may feel about ourselves at any given moment. So Lord, we thank you. We pray that we would live into that reality. And in doing that, Lord, we would honor you. Uh, you would, we would be blessed. Um, and we would be light. We would be, we would be children of light, bringing light to the world as you close out this age, Lord. So thank you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, Lord. Let's worship. Let's worship. Let's sing about how great and how deep the Father's love is for us.